thought to myself, okay, who's making the money here uh-huh. in these raves and this electronic music scene? And it wasn't the people who were throwing the parties. Those dudes were broke, always running from the DJs. The mm-hmm. DJs weren't making money because they weren't getting paid. Nobody pays the DJ. And the buildings were all break-ins. People would effectively somehow, by hook or by crook, figure out a way to get a key to a building or borrow keys somehow and get in. Or they would just break in through the back door and they'd be throwing these parties. Mm-hmm. Well, I realized very quickly that these parties existed for one main reason. And it was so that the drug dealers could function and have a distribution circuit for selling their pills. Hey, listeners, welcome to the high performance clip for today. On this clip, we're talking to Shaheen Shayan, who is the founder of the very first billion dollar nootropic company way back in the 90s. And he is going to talk about how he came up with the idea and started a business selling nootropics at raves when he was 15 years old, then turning it into the most successful nootropic company of the 90s and the 2000s in a cash distribution model. Let's hop into it, guys. We came from Iran Mm -hmm. in the 1970s, late 1970s, and landed here. I'd get the shit kicked out of me every day in school. Uh, Immigrant total immigrant story. It was a bad time to be an Iranian kid. Mm -hmm. And I remember I, you know, I left school, went out on my own, basically living in abandoned buildings, backseat of broken down cars, anywhere I could trying to, trying to find my, um, fame and fortune. And one of the things I realized, you know, I I got involved in the electronic music scene back Mm -hmm. then. It was just beginning. The rave scene was just getting going in the early nineties. And I realized that not only would I not be good at policing, I would be equally as bad at crime (laughs) because it's good. You found that out at a young age. It's super important. Yeah. I think you have to know yourself and what that means is you have to know your strengths, but you also have to know your weaknesses because it's only with that self-knowledge that you can gain that strength to go beyond. So we talk about Steve Jobs. Okay, Steve Jobs was an asshole. Steve Jobs was this and that. And you look at Bezos. You look at these guys and people are like, oh, they're assholes. They're this, they're that. But at the end of the day, the one quality that binds them, that binds all successful people, even fighters. If you look at Mike Tyson, if you look at Tyson Fury, who right now as we're recording this is the heavyweight champion, is that these guys know themselves. Mm -hmm. They know their strengths. They know their weaknesses, but they have this deep, self-realized understanding of who they are. And so did Steve Jobs. He knew exactly who he was and what his purpose was. Mm -hmm. Bezos coming out of D.H. Hutton, one of the big venture firms, figuring out, dude, he knew exactly who he was when he started Amazon and what he was going to do. He was going to take cheap money from Wall Street, Mm -hmm. pump it into Silicon Valley, and build the world's most powerful e-commerce company. And it's it's exactly what he did with that knowledge. So me, coming out of Iran, I was super dedicated, but I realized, okay, dude, I'm not going to be good at policing, and I'm going to be terrible at crime. You see people doing crime, and you're like, really, dude? Really? Like, People are so bad at crime, but (laughs) at least I think as a, as a teenager, I had this knowledge that I would not be good at crime. So I thought to myself, okay, who's making the money here Uh in these raves and this electronic music scene. 
And it wasn't the people who were throwing the parties. Those dudes were broke, always running from the DJs. The DJs weren't making money because they weren't getting paid. Nobody pays the DJs. It's kind of a rule of underground clubs. The DJs <laughs> always outside just pissed because nobody paid them. <laughs> and the buildings were all break-ins. People would effectively somehow, by hook or by crook, figure out a way to get a key to a building or borrow you know, keys somehow and get in. Or they would just break in through the back door and they'd be throwing these parties. Mm-hmm. Well, I realized very quickly that these parties existed for one main reason, and it was so that the drug dealers could function and have a distribution circuit for selling their pills. Now, wow. of course, I realized, well, okay, that goes back into crime, life of crime. I can't sell drugs, but I want to make money. So what am I going to do? How, before you move on, how did you make that realization? I was watching how money was being made and I was watching the flow of money. I was told, Hey, if you ever have questions, follow the money. Mm -hmm. And I followed the money back to the illegal drug dealers, the guys that were dealing MDMA ecstasy. Now here's the thing, the supply of ecstasy, ecstasy being a drug that's difficult to make things like pot or other drugs, much easier to produce and distribute. Okay. Ecstasy is a drug that required more technical knowledge and know-how mm -hmm. to produce it correctly. One molecule off and you get something totally different, a couple molecules off and forget what you have. It could be dangerous. Mm -hmm. The supply was cut off. It was only being made in Europe, in, in England and Holland, where the two main places it was coming from. There wasn't anybody really making it in the United States. Okay. So the, the dealers, their supply had dried up and they were grumpy. And the people coming to the parties were grumpy. Uh -huh. Everybody wanted to have this great ecstasy experience. So I thought to myself, hey, man, if I came up with something that was legal, that was safe, that I could produce for pennies and resell for dollars, I could do pretty well for myself. Yeah. So I went about that journey. And I remember the first day, the first evening where I showed up at the club and eventually we got it down to a couple small tablets with beautiful butterflies and they were gorgeous. But this, at this point, I was making them literally in my girlfriend's bathtub. I managed to get myself a girlfriend. If anybody wonders if you need money to get girls, you don't, I was broke. <laughs> and I managed to get myself somehow a girlfriend and she allowed me to use her kitchen, bathtub, whatever. And we were making up these goo-filled tablets filled with Chinese herbs that I managed to get somebody to front me uh -huh. from Chinatown. And we were putting them in baggies. And so I filled up a, a baggie full of these things and I walked up and I was like, dude, sell my stuff. Uh -huh. And the drug dealer looks at me, you know, with his Gucci purse or whatever, the fanny pack he had. And he goes, fuck off, kid. And I said, <laughs> I said, all right, let me make my case for you. You're, you have no supply left. You're selling junk because you don't have real drugs. You will probably get arrested when the cops show and show up in jail, mm -hmm. uh, end up in jail. And there's no future in this for you. Try selling my stuff. If it sells, great. You pay me. If it doesn't, you owe me nothing. Throw it away. Gift it to someone. He's like, all right, what do I got to lose? He was in a good mood. Started selling it. Mm -hmm. By the end of the night, Everybody in the club was jumping up, dancing, pointing at me. Now, there was a lot of pills, so there was it didn't taste good. It was it was weird. This was the beta. Okay. And the guy comes back to me and he looks at me in the eyes, and I'm like, all right, I'm fucked. What's gonna happen now? And he goes, Kid, can you get me more? How soon? <laughs> and that was it. It was on. We went from one drug dealer uh -huh. to ten to a hundred to a thousand to ten thousand. You hired all, all the drug dealers the to, to sell your legal pills. That's, That's so right. genius, yeah. Yeah. What a story, guys, huh? I think the biggest takeaway here is, one, anything's possible. 
And two, know what you're good at. Shaheen doubled down on what he was good at, and he focused on that. Just like he mentioned Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, Mike Tyson, Tyson Fury, all the greats. So ask yourself, what are you good at? Are you really doubling down on what you're good at? Focus on that. And the other stuff kind of starts to sort itself out. If you haven't heard the full episode yet, it's episode number 558, selling $1 billion before he was 23, pre-internet, pre-Facebook, pre-iPhone. And if you like what you're hearing and you want to make sure you don't miss any of these tips, please subscribe, leave us a review, and share with your friends. See you on the next episode. Bye.